0: was started as a supplement for my daily creative newsletter on Substack, called The Honest Creative. Find more at honestcreative.substack.com. That's honestcreative.substack.com. Hello, boys and girls. This is episode number 4 of The Honest Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Sergey Faldin. Judging from the September Q&A thread that I posted recently on my Substack newsletter, I know that there are a lot of Medium writers out there listening to this podcast right now. Well, today I have a super exciting guest for you all, for everybody who's writing on Medium or somebody who wants to start writing on this platform. His name is Adrian Drew, and in addition to being a full-time writer since he was 17, He's the founder of the viral publication, Mind Cafe, which most of you have probably heard of. Adrian, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here.
1: Thank you, yeah, it's good to be here.
0: I just wanna jump in and I'll start you by asking a super simple question that will familiarize our audience with you. What did you create today, if anything? And I'm asking this because I know that in addition to writing, you do photography
1: yeah yeah that's a good question Do you mean today today
0: yeah today today
1: yeah okay what did i create today i did some editing today we launched a magazine this week so maybe oh wow this week was uh, it more happened like in the past few days what did i create today i made breakfast i give you different things little bits and bobs today hasn't been as productive as, as i'd like it to have been but it's good time <laughs> w- what did you have for breakfast I had eggs on uh, sourdough and avocado. Yeah, (laughs) that's, yeah. Wellness writer breakfast. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that every writer has that kind of breakfast. I I really want to frame our discussion today around meaning and meaningful content. And I think that you're the best person to talk about this. But let's just start somewhere and see where we end up, okay? Mm. So let's start with teachers and parents. I'm really interested in this question because... I think that when you decide to become an entrepreneur, a creative entrepreneur, or a writer, there's always this friction with the older generation. And I wonder whether that was the experience for you. Was there any friction to you becoming a writer when you were young? How did your parents react when you told them that, okay, I wanna be a writer, I wanna do this full time?
1: Yeah, good question. So I think my parents are always quite supportive if not a little bit worried about the decision. So, I mean, at 17, I'd applied to go to university to study psychology. And I had offers from, like, a few different unions around England. And that was, like, the plan. You know, I convinced myself that that's what I wanted to do because I didn't really see entrepreneurship and creativity as, like, a viable career path. So the plan was to just go and do that. And then at the very last minute, I had, like, a sign-off meeting with my teacher, you know, like, my form teacher when I was probably about 17, 18. And he was like, so, Adrian, where are you going to go to uni? And I was like, well, actually, so I declined all of my offers. And he was like, what? And my mom was like, what? <laughs> and I just said, yeah, you know, I've got some work as a freelance writer. I want to see how it goes. I enjoy it. So that's the plan. And they thought I was crazy. Like, they, they thought they were not disappointed. I mean, my teacher was disappointed and concerned that maybe, like, I was losing my way a little bit, like, decided to take potentially an easy option and just, forgo education because, like, yeah, I, don't know, I couldn't be bothered or whatever. And a lot of my teachers had a similar kind of reaction. I feel that anyone from, oh, I have to be careful what I say, but high school, you know, there's a lot of pressure to go to university. And so anybody that didn't, it was kind of pushed to one side a little bit. So there is definitely some friction there. Definitely felt like I was going against the grain. But I think, like, you know, four or five years on, people now respect that decision and understand, like, that I wasn't just going in blind. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I wasn't going in blind. I was following my passion. So yeah, a little bit of friction, but you just have to trust your gut, I think, you know.
0: Did you know at that time that writing was your passion or did you just like jump straight in to get your feet wet and just understand what that was? Or did you already know that writing is something that you want to do full time?
1: I think part of me knew, but ignored like Mm -hmm. that deep kind of desire to go into that. You know, I've always written story, uh, not so much now, but, you know, when I was younger, I'd write stories all the time, like pages and pages by hand. And so I always very much enjoyed, like, storytelling and that kind of thing. And then, I I mean, I did English language A-level, and I remember once writing an essay, you know, I wrote pages and pages, and I got the essay back and, you know, got, like, a really bad mark. And the teacher was like... You didn't answer the question, but this was written really well. (laughs) I was like, I read it through and I was like, actually, yeah, that is written quite well. Maybe I'll go into this. And that kind of like reignited that passion. So, yeah, I think it's always been there. I've kind of ignored it because it's not encouraged to go and pursue like a wishy-washy creative career by the education system. But, yeah, I always kind of knew.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because I find that with a lot of writers and uh, really just any professional in their fields, it doesn't always correlate with the marks and grades that you get in school. I mean, you can be a writer and you can have like C's and D's uh, in English. And yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that you got a really bad mark because you didn't answer the question. You didn't fit in, in, in into yeah. what the education system wanted you to be in. yeah it's amazing but okay so did you start making money immediately with writing
1: Mm -hmm. yes but i mean we're talking very small amounts okay i can go into that whole story if you want that's kind of a process there
0: was that a freelance was there like a series of freelance gigs and did you have a day job or were you just sitting at home and waiting until you were making enough money with writing
1: Yeah, basically. So I had a job as a cashier. And I also had like, this is after I left school. And then I had part time work as a freelance writer, but it was very low pay. So the plan was always when freelance work earns more than the cashier job, I'll quit. And that day just wasn't coming. So it got to a point where I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to quit anyway, and then we'll make it work. And so that's when things took off. So yeah, it was always always kind of freelance in the beginning.
0: So it really started to work for you when you quit the comfort of the day job and we just went all in. Is that how it was? Yeah. Okay. And exactly I, yeah. I, f- I find that fascinating because, like, the common wisdom is that you have a day job and you like do your side hustle on the side because it's a side hustle. But it often doesn't really work that way because you need this motivation to really get it going. So sometimes you just need to make the jump and just go all in, just trust the process. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, then okay, you can always go back to a day job. But unless <laughs> you have this like urge to really like make a living with it, and I don't know, like, you just to see your bank account draining i mean you, you really need that motivation sometimes
1: um, True. and it, i think as you know with us being somewhat younger we have that kind of safety blanket should things go wrong we yeah. can take that risk and not worry so i get yeah. people that are a lot older with families they're like gosh i really want to try a business but sometimes yeah it's a risk worth taking i think
0: yeah and i think that when you're in your 20s i mean it's like the best time to take those risks. Because as yeah. you mentioned, like you get older, you get more commitments and obligations, have more baggage. And it's not all, mm. always about you because now you have kids, you have a mortgage and whatnot. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. You mentioned that you're working in a cafe as a cashier. And I find that interesting because uh, a lot of writers, famous writers that I know For some reason, they had this period when they were working service jobs or bartending or being a waiter or something. Like Elizabeth Gilbert had one. Did that teach you anything? Are there any lessons from that time that you found useful in the work that you do now?
1: Yeah, it taught me a lot about people. And I kind of treated it as... A learning experience because I found it really boring. So I was like, (laughs) I gotta enjoy this. So I I set myself little challenges, like, okay, you know, I've gotta make this time pass quicker because I'm six hours ahead of me. What am I gonna do? So I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna try and make every person that comes in laugh. And this time, I'm gonna every person that comes in, I'm gonna try and get them to tell me their favorite color. You know, stupid things like that because I thought, like, I'm seeing a new person every like two minutes here, and that's a chance for me to learn a lot about people, how people work, and how people feel and you know how to build connections and i feel that those skills that i learned in that job have served me well for you know ever since because now like a lot of my job is leading people and you know doing things like this without that kind of learning experience i feel that this kind of thing would be more difficult you know that confidence wasn't really there before that job so it was valuable i'm really glad i did it i wouldn't go back but you know I'm glad i did it
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's funny. But okay, so right now I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you. You're a successful young writer. Can I call you that?
1: If you, if that's what you think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y- y- your publication is uh, Medium's partner, which means that they pay you for views, right? Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's like a, a supportive partnership. So they help us in you know helping us to grow the publication and build that audience essentially.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, I really want to go back to the start of this, let's call it professional writing journey when you're not a freelance writer, when you're not working as a cashier and we can jump straight into how you got started with Mind Cafe or you can start at the very beginning. Can you tell us how it all got started? Because I ask you this because you briefly told me about your story, which you're free to share here if you'd like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a, a long process. I've always been interested in self-improvement and that kind of thing. You know, and I've, I've always read bits and bobs about, like, mindfulness and happiness and psychology. And so about oh, two years ago now, maybe maybe two and a half, three years, more like, my partner at the time was diagnosed with brain cancer. So when that happened, it was very much like a question for me of, how do I cope with this? Like, you know, what what's next? And, yeah, there, there are a lot of unknowns within that. And so for me, it was... Yeah, like the answer to the question of how do I cope with this was with books and with with knowledge and with information and, you know, what can I read? You know, what can I learn about other people that have gone through very difficult times? And so I was reading lots of things like uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, like lots of different books all about adversity. And, you know, it was still very much the most difficult thing I've ever experienced. I feel that those books like gave me a little bit of perspective and kind of helped in a sense to adjust to that change and so within all of that you know i was learning all of this stuff and i was like well this information is super helpful and i don't want to keep it all to myself so i decided to combine the passion for writing with that newfound passion for self-improvement and build kind of a creative space for other people to share their words and yeah just just provide like an online resource that was high quality fact-checked interesting engaging um, for other people to find that information easily Um, Not necessarily just about grief, but just about living a happier life in general. And so, yeah, just just set that up on a bit of a whim as a hobby, really. You know, it wasn't supposed to be a business. I still see it as a hobby. But, yeah, just things took off out of nowhere. Within the first sort of year and a half, we reached two and a half million views. Like that was our monthly average for three or four months. It's a little bit less now, but still millions. And with that exponential growth came the need to, to build a team to create sources of revenue and uh, my voice keeps cracking and you know go from there so a bit of a whirlwind but that's kind of how it started in a nutshell.
0: I want to pause for a sec and talk about the beginning of the journey you mentioned that uh, you're going through this pain this struggle I wonder what kind of emotions were going through your body and your brain was it anger was it pain was it the feeling of the unfairness of it all?
1: Yeah, um, kind of all of those, I guess, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, I think anyone, I think we've all experienced loss to some extent, and, and everyone that has would probably agree that it's hard to, to, to put a name to any of those emotions, it's just this, like, feeling of kind of dread, but also it's the unknown, and you always ask yourself, you know, especially with Charlotte, because we knew that she was, like, we knew what was going on, and we knew that she would have, you know, 18 months to, to potentially to live and so throughout all of that it was really difficult to try and be present you know not think about after 18 months or after she passes you know am i going to be able to cope with that like what will happen then so you're always just kind of like second guessing and trying to put you know plan ahead or whatever which is tough so yeah just just a whirlwind a real whirlwind
0: how many years were you together Six and a half. Six, Oh wow oh wow that's a yeah. long time So you found a way to cope with this pain through writing, basically, through creativity?
1: Yeah, yeah. The the main thing I learned from Man's Search for Meaning was that, if anyone's not familiar with that story, so Viktor Frankl was um, taken to a concentration camp, you know, during that period of history, and lost essentially everything, like everything he'd worked on, but also his family, you know, his children, his wife, and everything else. I don't know if children's right, but... of his family like were killed in the camp and then he came out with nothing and so his theory was that life is all about purpose happiness is all about purpose and he believes that the reason he survived and continued afterwards is because he had his purpose which was producing a manuscript for his book which is obviously out now and his his theory so after reading that for me i was like okay it's all about purpose like i need something so as soon as charlotte passed away we got offered a partnership with medium and i was like that's strange and so oh, I've wow. just put everything into my Cafe since then. Um, okay. I think that's really the key, you know, is, is that purpose.
0: Yeah, there is a quote that's often attributed to Viktor Frankl, although I think it's Nietzsche who said it first, he who has a why to live can bear almost anyhow. And right. so that was your why, that was your purpose. And uh, I mean, it's been working for you ever since. And it, it's amazing. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I, I, I mean, it's, it's always amazing that people can achieve so much when they have this very strong sense of purpose and you obviously have it very close to your heart but moving forward why the name mind cafe
1: yeah good question a lot of people ask that i don't know i mean i just like it and it and it came to me and i was like yeah that sounds cool i i love i always work in coffee shops every time i work i go to a coffee shop and it's interesting actually if one of my best friends and me Decided a few years ago, we were going to create a cafe, like an actual cafe, which was going to be focused on self improvement and wellness. So we we're going to have like books and magazines there, yoga teachers and whatever. And I guess subconsciously that was still in my head. And <laughs> this thing, Mind Cafe, came to mind. I was like, Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's I like that. And I guess it's like it aims to provide the same sense of comfort and belonging that a cafe does, but it's for the mind.
0: <laughs> you know as, as cheesy as that is <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's, that, that's right. actually what i thought of when i stumbled upon your publication for the first time i, I think that that was like a year ago but is are, are the plans to open a cafe still open i mean uh, are you thinking about it
1: <laughs> i think i'd love to one day one day yeah eventually that's kind of like a yeah a dream of mine so we'll see watch this space
0: yeah speaking about your publication mind cafe before we went on record we have a discord server for the honest creative newsletter that i run and uh, i i told people that i'm going to be interviewing you and ask them to ask some questions and the most common question was my version of it why is it so damn hard to get into your publication
1: (laughs) it's funny a few people have asked me this recently it's hard because we have an audience that trusts us to produce high-quality, reliable content that they know, if they follow, will help them and benefit them. And for that reason, we prefer our articles to be backed by research, if possible, if not reinforced by external quotes from well-respected resources like books uh, and novels and whatever. And it's it's rare that a writer is able to combine that With a piece that's also engaging and like meets our sort of brand and tone as a publication so i think for that reason people do struggle to get in because medium a lot of people like to just write opinion based pieces which are it's just their view and for us as like you know what we hope to be a what we hope is a, a reputable credible publication we have to be careful when we publish pieces that are just opinion based so it's difficult because it's a platform that yeah, it, it, it's there are a lot of bloggers there. And I guess what we're looking for is more people that write in more of like a journalistic style okay. at the moment, yeah. which understandably not everybody wants to do that. But, you know, as partners with Medium as well, it's our responsibility to produce quality content. And so I guess in, in short, that's why. But it's doable. It's possible. We do it, accept it, new it, writers.
0: Yeah.
1: Sorry, man, to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, we're also receiving like three, four hundred submissions a week, so oh, wow. the, the the input is huge. So obviously we can't accept.
0: What's the rejection rate?
1: Any. I think John, our submissions manager, might accept five to ten of those. Like mm, wow. high rejection rate. But wow, we already have over a thousand writers in the pub, so like we we have to be um, very stringent. So.
0: Yeah, Just that's like that, almost yeah, so. uh, a 99% rejection rate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's high. It's high. It's, al- it's almost like Harvard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it was actually my personal experience as well, because when I first saw Mind Cafe, I mean, I fell in love with it and I fell in love with the idea And the content that you guys publish, and I started sending in pieces, and I was rejected like nine out of of ten times. I think that over the year that I was a contributing writer to Mind Cafe, only like three pieces were published. One of them went actually viral, and still keeps bringing me followers. It was about um, attention management, and actually all of the pieces that I published uh, gained more than. 2,000 claps. So they they perform pretty well considering that I'm not like a huge writer on Medium. But yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Medium is a platform where everybody uh, wants to write opinion pieces, most people. And I mean, uh, personally, I don't like, I'm not a journalist and I love writing opinion pieces. And I find find that opinion pieces can sometimes be valuable uh, because you just write your own story and uh, you you write about your own personal experiences and you show like your own voice which is unique and uh, but i totally see why mind cafe doesn't want to accept those but there are so many publications on media right now like any writer can find a place for them
1: yeah and i think I, i like to think that's what makes us a little bit different you know there are so many publications and the fact that we are that much stricter I hope makes us stand out but I do think opinion pieces can really work I just the way I see it and the way I explain it to the team is that it's up to the writer to instill trust in their reader otherwise they won't listen to the information that's being shared and if that writer is an authority figure on a subject they can talk about that purely you know from the perspective of their opinion and be trusted you know it's like for example if I went on a mindfulness retreat. I could write all about the mindfulness retreat and still be trusted because that's first-hand experience. Right. Whereas when people write pieces and it's just like, here are 10 things that you should do because I say so <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. fair enough. But like who, who's supporting that? You know, how can that reader know that these things are actually going to help them as I think opinion pieces can just be made that much stronger with that extra level of reinforcement. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I totally understand that, especially because uh, you want to keep people trusting the Mind Cafe brand, and th- that that that's why you look for quality pieces. Because sometimes publications seem like sp- Spotify lo-fi playlists, right? Like where you yeah. just press shuffle and you don't know what song or what kind of an artist this is, but you trust the playlist and you trust that this that's, playlist is yes. gonna curate very good content. So publications yeah. are in a way uh, similar.
1: Mm, that's a really good way to put it, yeah.
0: Yeah, but you uh, mentioned uh, your team. What does your team look like? I mean, how, how many people are there on your team right now?
1: So, so it's me. John is our submissions manager. Then we have Jordan is one of two editors. Reed is the other. I also edit as well. And then we have Freya. She's our marketing executive. She's responsible for producing all of the content that we put out on our social media. And then Lee, who is my magazine designer. And then we do call upon, like, a number of freelancers for various jobs, such as photography or, like, you know, there'll be our whole magazine team soon now that that's out. So, yeah, it's still a small team, but it's an effective team. Everybody's really, really good, and I love those guys. They know what they're doing, so it works well. i no rush to expand it.
0: How do you guys come together?
1: So Jordan was a writer of ours before, and also, like, a mutual friend. There's a Slack group with about 50 of us writers, so... We sort of networked through there as well. Reed, I've known for two or three years now, also started as a writer, haven't met either of those boys in person. John is one of my closest friends. Freya is also someone I know in person. And Lee, I know in person, but met through this. So some like existing friendships, some completely new.
0: Interesting, because Medium, like I've been writing on Medium for almost a year now, and I found that it gave me a lot of new friends. W- yeah. Was that the experience for you? I mean, uh, do you socialize with uh, other medium writers a lot?
1: Yeah, I do, to be fair. So about seven or eight of us met up in Barcelona in January. You know, me and guy, Matt Sandrini, ended up living together off the back of that for like five weeks. So that was all for medium. And there were several others that I've had calls with, like yourself, you know, and, and lots of, of nice relationships that developed from that. And it's cool as well because everyone's kind of on the same page.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right
1: on Medium. And so you can have a call with any other self-improvement provider and know that you're probably going to get along.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. What do you think is... The, and I mean, um, you, you can go into why you started Mind Cafe again, but what is the role of publications on Medium? Why would someone start a publication versus writing on their own page and self-publishing pieces? I mean, I, I understand why people publish in publications mainly for exposure, but why would anyone start a publication of their own?
1: So purely from a business perspective, with followers on Medium, if, if you as an individual have... X amount of followers, at the moment, it's difficult to utilize that audience. Like, you can't email them, for example. You yeah. are restricted in terms of what you can promote on your profile without breaching curation guidelines. So setting up a publication gives you that sort of extra amount of freedom in the sense that, you know, I can email 40,000 people very easily. That's not all of our audience. Only 40,000 subscribe to receive updates. But it's still 40,000 people that... You know, might buy a magazine or they might, you know, watch a video we put out or we produced a free course that they really enjoyed. So, for that reason, it's very beneficial because it allows you to build this sort of tribe, you know, of people that support your mission. And, you know, I think it's easier to do that on Medium than it is on, say, YouTube or Twitter Mm -hmm. or anywhere else. So, from a business perspective, it's very beneficial in the sense that you collect people, like you build a crowd that you can then nurture and provide value to and create community from like the perspective of writing and values and and that kind of thing. It's just, it's like creating, like I said, it's it's your own collection of content that Mm -hmm. you create, you curate, like you, you get to build this space for other people to publish and it's your space, which in itself is a wonderful thing. And that's a it becomes a brand. It becomes something that you can customize and decorate. And yeah, I just think it gives you that added amount of freedom that you might not necessarily get as an individual, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. If if someone were starting a personal blog, not a business, should they start a personal publication like, I don't know, Sergey Falden's blog, or should they keep publishing independently?
1: I really don't know. I, I'm not sure. I've never done that myself. I could see where the advantages would be. It, it depends, I guess, on whether you prefer to have like your content on your profile or like you know, if, if you want to have it laid out nice on a publication. But with the publication, like I said, you would have the ability to create a mailing list as well as followers. So maybe that's the added advantage. I think it'd be beneficial for an individual to do that. I guess you yeah,
0: and, and now, I mean, as you mentioned, it's all about trust and now the upcoming changes to the medium a user experience in the mobile app. I think they're going to launch it um, sometime in September or early October. The whole content experience is going to be based around the people you follow and the publications you follow. So it's... Um, All about trust building. I mean, if you're, you have two options basically. You can either promote your own brand, like Adrian Drew, right, or you can promote Mind Cafe. And if you create a, a new publication, you basically have twice the amount of work they have to do because you have to promote mm. two different brands and it can be difficult. So yeah. I, I think that if you do not wanna build like an external community outside of yourself, your personal brand, it doesn't really make sense to build a publication yeah. because you'll have to do twice the amount of work. Uh-huh. But as I mentioned, like yes. the more access, the more like tribes you have, the better because just more exposure, it's like you can build a very tight community and mediums features allow you to create a newsletter around that right now. And I think that they're launching an upgrade to the way publications look like, uh, which will make them look more like magazines. But yeah. you you, you guys, w- w- was the print magazine the goal from the very beginning, or was it something that came up on your way?
1: Yeah, I, I think, again, like subconsciously, it was a goal of mine, you know. <laughs> it does look so much like a beer.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, this is kombucha. <laughs> kombucha <laughs>
1: but yeah like I, I think I explained to you recently that I was on holiday like down in Cornwall with family when I think I was looking for like a birthday card or something and saw a print magazine in on the shelf and it was like a minimalistic self magazine and I just kind of fell in love with it and that was years ago but then I think like there were so many different like thought processes one of them being like if I had to set up a magazine how would I make sure like there were people to actually buy it I was like, okay, well, I need an audience, and then like, how can I build an audience, and what am I going to write about? And then it all kind of came together. So interesting. I think the magazine kind of spurred that idea, and yeah, like it's, it feels like I've kind of gone full circle in a way. I'm looking at it now. This is a promotion, but like, it's just so great to see it here. Oh wow! Great. Oh, this, this is so time,
0: sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice. It's Amazing. It's- like minimalistic. Oh, which wow. Really how it to be.
1: wow. And so it's just wonderful to see like after the, the difficult few years that it's been, it's just like, there it is, the physical manifestation of all of that hard work.
0: How do people get this magazine? Uh, it, 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 is it live? Can people subscribe to it right now?
1: Yeah. So it went live on the first of September, which I think was Tuesday or Monday. Uh, so yeah, it's live. People can get it on our website, which is mindcafe.co. If you just go forward slash magazine, you'll see it there. But You'll see it on the homepage anyway. Yeah, it's sending it all over. It was shipping to the whole planet. So yeah, anyone can get it.
0: It's amazing because I love magazines. To me, they're like books, but it's like a collection of essays and like writing pieces from other people. So your job is basically not a content creator, but a content curator. And I've lived in the United States. Right now I'm in Russia and I live in the United Kingdom. And I found that in London and United Kingdom, magazines are a thing. Unlike it's in other parts of the world. Like personally, I'm subscribed to The Idler and The New Philosopher Magazines. They are my two favorite magazines. And I get them just printed versions delivered every quarter or every six months. So I I love magazines. I totally understand why you would do this. Is there... And you put content that's on Medium, right? So you basically duplicate content. Or what's the content flow in the magazine?
1: It's all original. um, So never been seen before. Yeah, there's, there's several articles in there. There's like... A three, four page story about Mind Cafe, which is read by me and most of the things I've just discussed, but in a little bit more depth. There's an interview in there with Brianna Weist, I think it's pronounced. So I keep saying West. I'm pretty sure it's Weist. But Brianna's in there, Nier Eow's in there. So there are a few like interview style pieces, there are a few articles. But yeah, it's like 130 pages. So there's a nice mix in there. So it's all original. Nothing from medium.
0: Is it is it gonna be once per month, once every quarter, once a year? What's the frequency? Quarter. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Uh, Well, I'm definitely going to put the link in the show notes and I really recommend everybody to check it out. I'm going to get one for myself. Absolutely. As soon as I go back to London, but just to finish the discussion on mind cafe and medium publications, what advice would you give someone starting a business publication, like a step-by-step process, if you could go back uh, to one or two years ago and give yourself advice? Mm,
1: good question. I think if it's on medium, then focus on ensuring that those pieces are chosen for curation, because that's going to be the thing that provides the biggest boost in terms of external views. That's number one, specifically for medium. Number two, like keep going. Like it's going to take a while to build numbers. You know, it took us ages to hit the first thousand. I never thought we'd pass a hundred thousand, but we just did. And wow, it's taken a long time, but we've done it, and we're still moving forward. So. Keep going, like keep pushing past, like be patient and publish and also just focus on quality, like provide value. It all comes back to providing value. Yeah, I, I, I just think patience, patience and providing value. Like I think that's just business in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, I remember I asked you and a bunch of other publication owners and Twitter, what are some of the advice that you would give to someone starting a medium publication? And you said, I think you said something like, keep pushing. It's going to take a while to build a platform, but at the end, it's going to be worth it. And I'm,
1: yeah, I'm glad I said something today that reflects what I
0: said. <laughs> <laughs> to stay consistent. Off, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Just, right.
0: yeah, to stay consistent. <laughs> yeah. And, and you mentioned curation and I know that there are like curation guidelines and all that. I have two questions about curation. Number one is, is curation really that important for individual writers? And uh, second uh, is what are medium curators looking for? Like what kind of pieces are they looking for? And I think that most uh, listeners who write on Medium or aspire to write on Medium have some version of these two questions in their mind.
1: Right, interesting. So first question, remind me of the first one.
0: I, 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 is curation relevant? Is it, relevant? Is it, really, yeah, is it really that important mm-hmm. for individual writers? I'd
1: say yes, to be honest, because if you have just started and you don't have any followers, if you publish an article, the only way that you're going to have it seen by other people is through curation. Like, it's the algorithm that ensures that um, good content is seen. So without followers, you kind of depend entirely upon that. Yeah, so, but you could
0: go to, into publications and just forget about curation. Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah, you can, although the the big numbers that publications have in terms of followers, like, don't expect all of those followers to read your content, you know. So you might get a bump of a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand views from being part of a publication. But without being curated, you kind of, yeah, your, your article is going to do a lot better if it's curated. Okay. Uh, and then number two, what are they looking for? Like, like, what makes them choose to curate an article? I think several things. The first is, like, it has to be an in depth insight into a subject, not just like a thin overview or, or, like, you know, yeah, like a very short article, which doesn't really provide much value. The other thing, I think it has to be well written and engaging. Like, it has to entertain a reader. Otherwise, they're not going to bother putting it in front of people. I did have another point, which is gone. <laughs> I'd say that there are little things to watch out for as well. Like if you post, if you put a photo on an article, but you don't credit it, you'll never get curated. Yeah. Um, if you write about how to make money on Medium, Medium will not curate that. Like...
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they stopped curating <laughs> okay, that like six six months ago, I think. Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. But my, my biggest tips would be, number one, keep, keep it interesting. Number two, make sure it's 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 rigorous, it covers the subject well. Number three, make sure it's unique. Like everyone on the planet has written about morning routines. If you're going to do that, at least make it a bit different, you know. And number four, like I said earlier, you know, make sure the reader can trust you by drawing upon external support, whether it's a quote from a book or a link to a study. It just gives your article that bit more reinforcement, you know. We find that... You know, everything we publish has that component. And our curation rate at the moment is a good, like, in the past two weeks, is like 90 to 100%. So it, I'd like to think I know what I'm talking about. And hopefully it's those things that make the difference.
0: Amazing. Thanks for that. When I think about curation personally, uh, because Medium pays writers basically for writing words and for getting their ideas out there. I like to think that Medium writers are all like contributors to this one big magazine called Medium. So they're basically working for Medium because Medium pays them. So and Medium as a platform... Allows you to basically make money like from month number one or three, like d- depending on how you work. So it's amazing, right? It's a unique opportunity. And in this way, there are certain rules of the game that you have to follow. And you follow if you follow these rules of the game, which are pretty simple, like write high quality pieces, think about the reader, I don't know, do some research or use your personal like firsthand experience then you're going to get compensated and you'll get the exposure and the money and everything you want. So it really just makes sense to learn the rules of the game and just to follow them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Now moving to our discussion about content and meaningful content, what kind of content do you think is, can be called meaningful?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, in in my opinion, like it's not that it's meaningful. It's, honest like it provides a unique perspective on a subject and it's coming from like a place like from a genuine desire to help rather than to make money i think you lose meaning and authenticity when the focus is on how can i make sure this article goes viral
0: yeah yeah Um, 100 percent
1: something that you, you can tell has come from the heart without being too cheesy
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a a discussion with our third guest recently, Rowena Roberts, and we're discussing authenticity and vulnerability in writing. And she said something interesting. She said that you can't ever fake authenticity or vulnerability because for some reason, content is not only a vehicle for ideas to convey like idea from me to you it's also a vehicle for emotions and intentions and for some reason like readers just sense it like if your intentions Mm. are to make money but you fake authenticity and you try to be vulnerable like as a tactic it can always be felt so yeah it's it's interesting that you
1: mentioned that yeah you always know it's like in conversation as well you can yeah. tell when someone's being sincere, and I think it's just your subconscious mind is like, hang on a minute, something's not right here, and that you can't hide from that as a producer of content. Like, it has to be meaningful and, and honest.
0: How do you write? I mean, do do you do you make uh, money on Medium right now personally?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I think I average maybe like. Some months it might be like two hundred dollars. Some months it might be five hundred. But I I write maybe once a month. So like this is uh, all from okay. old content that still makes money.
0: Okay, okay, okay. So you you don't rely on Medium as your income source.
1: No, no, not not in that sense. I mean, I do have a number of like freelance projects. I essentially run two businesses. The other side of that is the freelance work. So, you know, to 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 give a bit of perspective. Is that writing that. as well? That's right, and yeah. So that earns, I mean, I get paid around $500 per 500 words. So it's about a dollar a word. Wow. Um, and that's then, a lot. It is. It's taken, like I said earlier, it's taken a very long time to get to that point. Okay. But yeah, so that's like
0: my, my other main source of revenue rather than being uh, Is Is that yeah. income from like places like Upwork or personal contacts? Oh.
1: No, I mean, I began on Upwork. I think it's a great way to find work in the beginning that's going to be quite low paid but provides experience no this is from i had a like a, a new client come through recently that found me through Mind cafe actually and mm. so i write for them and for like a medical company about depression and uh, that kind of thing so
0: oh interesting interesting work. interesting where are you ever making like a lot of money on medium was that ever think- uh, a path for you
1: yeah, so the most I earned on Medium in a month, I think, was about $800. Mm-hmm. So, but that was when I was like, for a good two months, I was writing, I think, every day. And so it went like $200 one month, then it was 500 then it was 800 So that would probably have continued to go up, but I just stopped.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Why did you stop? Because it was too much work. My
1: cafe just took over, basically. So, oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I find that to make sustainable income on in Medium, you have to publish very often, like every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see like some writers, like uh, we're not going to call names. Uh, I I know one writer on medium who publishes like five or four times a day. And that's like crazy pace. Like, uh, (laughs) like I'm slowly moving. I'm slowly moving to like, I I used to publish every day just like to get the momentum going. And uh, because English is my second language, I needed to practice and all that. But when I see a guy publishing like four to five times a day, I was like, oh, shit. You've like,
1: like that, You've respect that. Like, that, that that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, it takes <laughs> me like two weeks to publish one these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you can always tell yourself that the quality of those pieces is is, is probably not very good. Uh, I mean, you, you can't write War and Peace uh, if you publish at that pace, right?
1: Well, yeah, you, I mean, I certainly couldn't but yeah, I don't know about them individually yeah, but um, yeah. coming back to the whole meaningful content thing I think it's difficult to to like have that much meaning in your own life to write that much Like a- when I did one Thank a day you. it got to the point where I was like I have nothing else to talk about. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that's one side of the conversation. On the other hand, like I find that ninety-five percent or like ninety percent of money that I make on Medium comes like from a handful of articles, and I publish every day. So, really, to become successful in Medium, your article has to go viral, and uh, everyone is just trying to figure out how to make that article go viral, how to write that $1,000 piece. Uh, some people think that uh, quantity matters because you increase the likelihood of one article just going viral. Some people mm-hmm. think that you have to like, really work hard on one article. Like I probably fall somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. W- what are your thoughts on the biggest debate among writers and like any creative person quantity versus quality what what matters most and when and how
1: i think like in the context of virality is that a word
0: yeah virality. maybe yeah yeah
1: it is it's a word now <laughs> um, in that in that like context i've had three articles go like like viral medium if i mean I me say viral like maybe nearly a hundred thousand views each like not viral viral
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe viral.
1: Done by yeah. others, yeah. and on each of those, it's interesting. One of them was called the three pillars of happiness, which title maybe maybe was you know had something to do with. I don't I'm know. sorry. It like-
0: Could you repeat that? Pursuit of happiness.
1: Yeah. So this was called the three pillars of happiness. Oh, three pillars. Okay. Yeah, but then the other two. One of them was called "This is why nobody is reading your content," and the oh, other. Oh yeah, one I saw going-
0: that one. I saw that one. It yeah. was a good one, actually.
1: Thanks, thank you. And the other one was called "This is why nobody is reading your articles," (laughs) which like (laughs) they both went viral. Like I saw the first one and I was like, "Hmm, maybe I could try that again." (laughs) So I did like basically the same title, Um, different content. The first one was all about how like your work is essentially all that matters. Like just focus on your craft. The other one was about, or the second one was about like three ways that writers can improve their, their their writing. So very different. But in both of those instances, they went semi-viral and the headlines were very similar. So I think that actually a lot of this has to do with the headline, like like 90%. And yeah. it's not like being, like, if you're, if you're just going to be clickbaity, like, you won't get curated, it, it won't work. Yeah. But if you provide an element of clickbait in the sense that the reader's like, that's interesting, and then actually deliver and follow through with high-value content, I think that's the recipe. Like, you know, get people's interest but then actually provide value. Don't get their interest and then just chat rubbish for like 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Personally, I hate that, to be honest. Like yeah, I, I, I hate too. the fact that we have to like, as writers, we have to focus so much on packaging our pieces and like yeah. spend the same amount of time thinking about the headline and the image and all of that stuff that you don't want to think about. You want to just publish And uh, when I moved to Substack for like for my newsletter and I started publishing like very frequently, I like I exhaled, like I I relaxed because for the first time, like in over a year, I could forget about the length and it because right now it matters because you have reading time, I could forget about clickbait, I could just like write 200 word, like 100 word blog post, like a very short, almost like a tweet, and uh, write some kind of headline and still get like all the views that I have and like work from my loyal base of readers and audience. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I don't like about Medium is that you have to spend so much time like really packaging and sometimes like selling your pieces. It really turns you away from being a writer and more into like content salesman and like uh, yeah. <laughs> really you're yeah, selling your true. pieces essentially yeah. yeah
1: i know what you mean and it's a shame because that's not like why we started this whole thing in the first place but it's important that you, you don't lose sight of that like like why you did it why you write and yeah curation and everything else is important in the context of making money and you know building an audience but you know, you're, you're a writer not a salesman at the end of the day like it's important that we all maintain that and stay authentic i think
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that Medium is still in the startup stage of their development. And I think that they're still figuring out where they want to go and the upcoming change to the design that they want to focus more on the writers and base the whole core experience on the writers uh, or the publications that you follow, I think is going to change that because Ev himself, uh, the CEO of Medium, he wrote a blog post like five days ago uh, on Medium. And he said that uh, they understand that there are two types of content. online. You have the transactional content where you just like Google how to fix your sync and you just find something, right? And you have the relational content. It's the type of content that you read, not because it provides value or has a clickbait headline, but because you have a relationship with the person or the outlet that uh, created this content. Let's say I go to Mind Cafe and I read something on Mind Cafe because I trust Mind Cafe. So that's, yeah. I have a relationship with Mind Cafe, And they want to move uh, more towards a relationship uh, type of media. And that means uh, saying no to headlines and clickbaits. Because right now, when you have so much transactional content, I mean, it, it, when you have only transactional content, it just turns into yellow press. I mean... Mm. It, and yeah. I, I think that they're still deciding um, which way they want to go. And hopefully, they're, they're going to opt in for more relational content.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think you're right. And yeah, I think there's, there's a space for both. But I guess within one sphere like Medium, it's wise to pick one or the yeah.
0: other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and sometimes it feels like, I, I, I wonder whether you feel the same. Medium can feel like a place where writers write for writers so there's like no place for readers (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, absolutely yeah we realized that recently when we were talking about like our audience and you know how we can maybe provide more value outside of medium and it was like yeah hang on a minute we have readers but most of those readers are writers so maybe (laughs) provide a writing course or something like that
0: yeah Um, yeah, but you're
1: right medium is is heavily dominated by writers it seems anyway
0: Yeah, and especially after the pandemic, I mean, I I saw that, I was in London during the pandemic and I saw that uh, like a huge just uh, wave of new writers come to Medium and just Mm. try to make money because most of them lost their jobs or most of them just had uh, so much free time on their hands to experiment and start another online business or anything. Mm, Uh,
1: So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense makes it harder Uh, for us. but
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that Mind Cafe uh, is trying to solve that problem. I mean, you guys uh, don't write about writing. (laughs) You mostly focus on on more outside of writing issues. But um, I wanted to ask you this just to wrap up our conversational content. How do you manage operating a business and writing and all that? How do you stay motivated? Uh, You told me that you work in bursts and that you're not very disciplined. Could you just (laughs) give us a brief uh, introduction into, the Adrian way of writing yeah
1: yeah that's a good question so yeah it's I mean I work hard don't get me wrong like you know I work every single day and usually don't stop until like seven or eight in the evening and even then it's like constant emails and whatever so there's a lot going on it's just for me personally I prefer to do like a block of work in maybe an hour to like two hour period and then move go and do something else go and like grab a coffee or some food you know take a break. And then return to work. Like there are these. I think it's it's very like fashionable in the world of productivity to talk about like grind all day every day and like never stop. But if you're not doing like 24 hours a day, you're not working hard enough. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's just gonna kill people. Like forget that. It's gonna destroy your relationship, destroy your mental health, and then you're not gonna be good to anyone. So the way I see it is, when you're when you feel like you've exhausted your mental resources for like that session of work, stop, do something else and then come back. Because yeah, I just find that like after, you know, an hour or two, my, my brain isn't working well, you know, I'm not my best self. And if I'm going to produce meaningful content and build a successful business, I feel that I have to be my best self. And so it's those like short bursts for me, which enabled me to sort of like refresh my energy levels between sessions of work and therefore each session of work for me feels more productive. if that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can, t- I, I, <laughs> I can totally relate to that. There's research that uh, there's a book actually by Cal Newport uh, called Deep Work. Right. And I, I I totally like resonate with that book because you can't, I mean, you do your best work when you're in this deep flow state and it's humanly impossible to be focused for more than four hours at a time
1: interesting okay yeah
0: yeah and, wow. and, and people and people still try to hustle their way and have grand ideas north of the 10th hour of work <laughs> it's just humanly yeah. impossible yeah
1: wow, even four hours for me is like nah, i couldn't do that
0: yeah but yeah well it, it requires it's, it's like a muscle which you can build you know like makes it requires sense. practice makes yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but yeah i think it's uh you just have to know yourself and take breaks when you need to
0: yeah yeah absolutely and like speaking of content and quality and just yeah uh the quantity as well it's even if it was humanly possible to write a novel in one day like i don't know sixty thousand words the novel would still not be as good as you want it to be because some creative work it, like it um, accumulates so you, you need this exponential growth that's why you need to come and show up every day because you build on top of yesterday's creativity. Does does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does make sense. It does. I guess it kind of stacks over time, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just stacks over time. Yeah, I like that. You guys are launching a newsletter right now on Substack. Let's talk about the benefits of uh, Substack versus Medium. If you could compare those two, like personally, I write on both. I love Substack. I love the editor in Substack. For some reason, I just love the font (laughs) in in the Substack. Yeah, it's very simple. And I mean, I just love the editor. Yeah. If you could start over, would you choose Substack over Medium? Uh, Because Substack is a recently new invention, or would you still be on Medium and why? I think
1: i I think do both because medium, like you can write on medium and reach people quickly and easily, and it's yeah. a lot of people. Whereas on Substack, you have to self-promote everything. Like yeah. you, can't re, you can't be curated on Substack, you know what I mean? Like that's its own ecosystem and you have to put people into that. So I think the great thing about a Substack, rather than it being like versus medium, I think Substack as a complementary like addition to medium allows you to build an audience and then within that audience you'll have maybe maybe one percent of those people will actually be prepared to give you money for more value and so substack gives you the opportunity to say hey if you really like what i'm doing you can pay x amount a month and i'll give you more not everybody wants that though so you provide stuff not, not obviously it's not for free within medium but you provide stuff within medium and then you have an extra outlet for people that like want that extra depth of insight from you, I think. So yeah, I think like they can work really well together, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems to me that there are two types of services on the internet. You have platforms like marketplaces, like Medium, YouTube, Facebook, and you have those software as a service companies like Substack, Podia, Teachable, like OutSchool, blah, blah, blah. And it seems that the former help you build an audience quickly. For example, in Medium, like you could just start writing for free and just build an audience by being curated, as you said. And then you can move on over to Substack or other software as a service providers to either build a more uh, closer relationship with that audience, because Medium is all about scale, it's not about intimacy, or you could, I don't know, monetize the audience in, in, in some yeah. way that you like.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: What's the future for uh, Mind Cafe? And you guys launched the Substack newsletter, you, you, you launched the magazine. Where, where is it headed and where are you personally headed?
1: Yeah, so, so the Substack isn't out yet. So that would be like the next step, which we haven't announced yet, but it's not a big secret or anything. So I think that the next step really, like this, the continuous step is always just grow, like, you know, keep building our audience, which we are. And as we do that, think of ways that we can provide more value. But yeah, the, the next step really is to just build the the medium audience whilst like providing more to the magazine audience. So it's a very mm-hmm. new venture. I think edition one is, is almost like a pilot and like an example of what we aim to provide in the future. Edition two will be bigger, better. And as time goes on, I think we'll just keep expanding that and providing more. But I guess step two, like... We're looking to bring on a few influencer marketers at the moment to help promote the magazine you know find new avenues to to build that once the financial backing is there for the print publication then we can think of ways to scale it and provide more essentially so whether that means high quality paper or you know i mean it's already very good quality but like whether it means like going that extra mile or bringing someone new on to write or to do the photography That's kind of like where we're heading is is to be in a comfortable position financially to build that. So
0: are you guys seeking to fundraise or are you going to fund it through your profits? Because the magazine will make money, right? So you have to pay a subscription fee.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, it will be the profits that provide the revenue.
0: Okay, okay. Interesting. And uh where are you personally headed like do you see yourself I don't know. Th- th- this will sound cheesy almost like an uh, HR interview question. Where do you see yourself in 5 years? But yes. yeah, I mean, where where do you see yourself in 5 yeah. years?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think <laughs> I can't see myself personally being much different to how I am now in 5 years. Like I feel like I'm very content in terms of like you know, whereas when I was younger there were a lot of securities that insecurities rather that i had to face yeah and therefore you know that those kind of drove this interest in self-improvement i feel that now i've reached a point where actually i'm pretty comfortable with who i am and where i am so personally i just i don't know i feel that like one of my main purposes in life is to it sounds cheesy i don't want this to sound cheesy but like help others recognize their true potential Mm-hmm. So, like, my younger brother, for example, um, he's, like, 13 years old. He's just going through, like, that phase of development. And so, like, I'm becoming a bit of a life coach for him right now. Like he's like <laughs> yeah. grow and, develop. and he's just started, like, high school, which is secondary school. And I'm, like, you know, here's how to, to do this. And, like, here's some great conversation starters. And like, go in there. And you're the best and blah, blah, blah. And like So I think, like, the next step for me personally is to maybe, now that I've reached a place of contentment in my own life, is to help other people get there. And obviously that's the purpose of Mind Cafe, but I mean more on like a personal level with people like friends and family. So I guess, I don't know, like there are a lot of things going on. I also want to get in better shape, like (laughs) drink less (laughs) coffee. (laughs) So bits and bobs, you know, bits and bobs.
0: You mentioned contentment. Do you set yourself high goals? Do you set any goals at all?
1: Yeah, I set goals. You know, I'm going through a period of my life right now, considering I've been so busy wherein, like, those goals have been put on the back burner, which, you know, is a problem. I feel that there are things that I need to work on. And like I said, gain in shape or whatever it might be. So there are always goals like that, whether it's, like, a gym-focused goal or, you know, like a a fitness goal or, like, a, a reading list goal or, you know, like, practice guitar or whatever it might be. So I do set goals. It's just I go through periods where I recognize that those goals Aren't necessarily priority. And right now is one of those times because of everything else that's going on with the magazine. So, yes and no, I guess.
0: Yeah. What I meant to ask was that does your contentment, is it tied to your completion of your goals, to the achievement of those goals? Or is I it something so, yeah. internal? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, in a way,
1: it is, but I'd say it's also, you know, I do believe in like, like value-focused goals in the sense of if I'm waking up every, like, you know, I think a goal could be to wake up and go for a run every morning mm-hmm. or that. that's an, like an external goal is like, I have to do this thing to tick a box. Whereas like, I think a value-focused goal is more, okay, like I'm going to be disciplined today and do what feels right, you know? So that might involve running, but it might not. So the way I see my life is I, I do what feels right. Like I do what feels good for, it sounds silly, but like the soul, you know, what feels like it's going to provide longer-term fulfillment. And in that sense, I'd say that I derive that sense of fulfillment, not necessarily from the goals themselves, but from the values behind my actions. And it's like, am I being a good person today? If I am, there we go. Box ticked. Like, no <laughs> need to go for a run. Like, it, it, it's like, is my goal to look after my body, is my value focused goal to look after my body? If it is, then there will be lots of external goals that come with that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely, it it sounds great. I totally agree with that and I can totally resonate Mm -hmm. uh, with that because sometimes I feel like when you set yourself goals, like I'm gonna be happy when I make $10,000 per month Let's just say, I, I think yeah. that it can be quite toxic because uh, as Naval Khan said, a desire is a contract that you write with yourself, uh, that you are going to be unhappy until you get what you wanted. That's like the yeah. Buddhist yeah. Um, way, way of looking at things. You, you mentioned, really yeah, you mentioned that you have a reading list. What are the, can you name like three to five books on your reading list that you me, want, <laughs> want to read in the future?
1: Let me open it up because I always forget. Yeah, sure. Give me one second. There are quite a lot on there actually. The Defining Decade, I can't remember who wrote that, but it's been recommended to me a lot. It's all about like your 20s and you know. Oh yeah, a... oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah. yeah,
1: you know of it, yeah. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink is one that I listened to the audiobook. I'd really like to read it again. So that's all about the concept of like how as a leader, everything that goes wrong is essentially your fault. And you should own that and seek to fix it, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the Joko Willink is the 4:30 AM guy. He wakes up at 4:30. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I saw a comment on one of his videos, and it was like, "This guy is the most Navy Seal looking Navy Seal I've ever seen." Like <laughs> Honestly, the comments yeah. on his videos are hilarious. There was one, there was one, where it was like, when Joko Willink leaves home, he looks to his dad and says, "You're the man of the house now." <laughs> it's like, so many little comments. are so funny. Yeah, so Joker's that's, tough. That's yeah, the, he's he's a tough guy, man. Him and uh, uh, David Goggins are really interesting. And then uh, Team of Rivals is on here by I think it's by Tim Ferriss, isn't it? Team of Rivals. Was I got that wrong? I can't remember. There's a book called Team of Rivals. What's Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors?
0: Tribe of Mentors.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, so Team of Rivals is another one that I wrote down. So maybe those two. Uh, what's the last book? What is it about? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, kind of, it's just a name. Sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think kind of just a lot of people suggest um, books in their articles that I edit. And I'm always like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I just put it on the list.
0: Oh, okay. Do, do you edit uh, Mind Cafe's articles yourself or do you delegate it completely to someone else? At the moment,
1: I edit almost all of them. I'm in the process of bringing Jordan back on board to do half with me. But yeah, previously it was it was mainly Jordan and Reed. Now it's mainly me. While we undergo like you know a process of trying to increase our curation rate, and soon it will be me and Jordan.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. Like personally, for me, coming back to reading lists, uh, I have like I don't know, maybe a fifty or a hundred like reading lists in my Evernote, and I never complete them. They just get longer yeah, and longer
1: yeah. <laughs> with every month. Like... Exactly the same. <laughs> there yeah. are just so many- how many books do you reckon you average, like, in a year?
0: I don't know. Like, I want to read a book a week. I do not read a book a week, <laughs> like, because I'm so like curious about things. Like, right now, I read three books at once. Like, I'm reading *Gentlemen in Moscow*. I'm reading a biography of Ernest Hemingway, and yeah, another fiction book. So, I mean, I usually read like one fiction book and one non-fiction book. I just fin- I just finished uh, *Bruna Brown's uh, Daring Greatly*. I really nice, recommend yeah. that one yeah Brene Brown yeah. is one of my heroes she's an amazing woman but yeah like <laughs> saying,
1: right? I tend to read a fiction and a non-fiction at the same time yeah like, I'm reading The Obstacle Is The Way again Normal People which is like a big hit over here yeah I just yeah just so Normal
0: People is amazing like and I saw a tv yeah. show the tv show is great too yeah
1: it's a great book man it's very very real very authentic yeah there's just so much to read
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I console myself with the idea that every day you have more books published than you can ever read, like in a lifetime. So, like it's it, it's a game <laughs> that you're destined to lose. So it's like yeah. It, yeah, you don't have to catch up. You just have to read whatever's interesting at your own pace yeah. and just enjoy it. Really.
1: Mm, I like that. I agree. Yeah, I agree. yeah it's yeah. not like. It's easy to see books as, I mean, for a while I only ever read nonfiction because I thought, well, yeah, if I'm going to read yeah. a book, then I'm going to get something out of it. And then yeah. someone was like, no, that's not why you read. Like, read for yeah. fun. And now I read fiction as well. And I, I very much enjoy that. And I think it's true. Like, they're there to be enjoyed. You don't have to eat every book on the planet. Like, you know, it's, it's fine. Just enjoy, enjoy reading.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like personally, sometimes maybe that's your experience as well. I get out of a fiction book much more than I get out of a nonfiction book because um, a fiction book is real. Like it shows you what life is really like or what it could have been like. Whereas a nonfiction yeah. book just tells you, do this, do that. Here <laughs> are t- 10 ways to become more rich and like successful or whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 I think you kind of learn through the experiences of characters in a fiction book as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite interesting.
0: Yeah, so amazing.
1: Definitely benefits there as well.
0: Wrapping up our conversation, thank you so much, Adrian, for this. This was interesting for me. I have one last question. It's our traditional question that we ask in the show. When you hear the phrase honest, creative, what comes to mind?
1: I think it's exactly what we spoke about earlier, like somebody that is authentic and meaningful in the content they produce, but also somebody that, you know, you you hear a lot of success stories told about how a person might set up a business or whatever, and I think people often leave out the the bad parts, you know, the parts where like, you know, they're really struggling with their mental health, or where, you know, they like like they're really really bad parts. So people that are just starting out are left with this opinion about creatives, which is very like romanticized and very, you know, it's like the whole writing stories in like an attic in paris like it's it's like yeah that's a very human
0: lifestyle yeah exactly yeah but you don't hear
1: about all the 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 loneliness that those people face or the hard part so to me like an honest creative is somebody that is open about the the real experience of making it as a creative which is very difficult you know so kind of two things
0: Uh, speaking of which do you Struggle with jealousy? Do you compare yourself to other creatives, uh, other writers?
1: No, I don't. Like I, I don't, in all honesty, like I don't pay too much attention to the actions of other publications or writers because uh, there's a great quote I read. I can't remember who it's by, but it was "embrace competition, or is no escape competition with authenticity." And so Mm -hmm. whenever I feel myself competing with others, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you're doing it all wrong. Create something new. Don't compete. Build a new platform and compete with yourself. So no, I I don't find myself getting competitive. I, I try and compete, like I said, with myself. It's like, like be better today than you were yesterday. I used to be very competitive and jealous. Don't get me wrong. Whereas now I'm like, it's not about that. Like stay in your lane and just keep moving forward.
0: Escape competition with authenticity. I should write that down. Like, I should make a tattoo exactly. out of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I I th- that, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a perfect place to end our conversation. And I wish all our listeners to escape competition with authenticity by being honest creatives. Adrian, thank you so much. I hope we do this again sometime soon.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before we go, make sure to stop by my daily newsletter on content creation as a career. You can find more at honestcreative.substack.com